beautiful song. Amen. Thank you, guys. So we have two verses of Scripture we're going to be looking at this morning. Um, The second one will be Psalm 23. The first one's going to be out of John 11. And I want to talk about a topic this morning that um, I'm not very good at. Uh, In fact, it took me a lot of years to become even, um, I don't know, semi-good at handling grief. So the title of this message is, and all the, uh, my outline notes will be coming up on the screen. There are lines in your bulletin that you can jot those down for those of you who are, are note takers. The title of this message is Good Grief. Why is it essential that we learn how to grieve well? As we started out this series on shattered dreams, we talked about in the very first message um, the five powerful pits that you and I find ourselves in through in our life, you know, growing up. Um, a lot of those pit experiences happen early on in life. There are things that are absolutely outside of your control. And uh, I've shared some of my own pit experiences for, you know, one of them was, is personality things. And, and uh, for example, when I was in school, I was bullied, especially in elementary school. And uh, in fact, I remember in elementary school and when I was in fourth grade, there was a kid who was a sixth grader. I don't know. He just had it in for me. We didn't get along. Our, our, I guess our personalities clashed, whatever. So we would kind of like, you know, get into it a little bit out on the playground. And then inevitably after school, he would chase me down and then, you know, throw me to the ground. He's twice my size, you know, be up on top of me, just, you know, throwing fist punches at my face. And for whatever reason, he'd get tired of that and just leave me alone and, and go off. And that was it. Right, so you know, I was too scared to report him to my teacher or to the principal, and this these kinds of things went on uh, throughout the course of that year. Till after he, you know, got out of elementary school, went to junior high school, and didn't have to worry about him anymore. So those are some things that are, are traumatic things that may happen to you. All of us sitting next to one another every Sunday morning, we're we're sitting next to people who have had traumatic events happen in your life, very painful events that are maybe outside of your control. Now, one of the things I've learned in life is, although I could not control much of what has happened to me, I can greatly control the outcome as to how it's going to ultimately affect me. And uh, what I mean by that is that event uh, plus response equals outcome more than anything else. How I respond to an event. It may be a very painful event. It might be a very traumatic event. I'll share some of those today in my process of, of grief. Um, that I don't do very well with. But one of the things we said at the outset is that failing, failing to establish, you know, because these, these emotional traumas um, leave residual effects upon our lives, right? So hurt and pain and uh, anger and doesn't just remain as hurt, pain, and anger. It always evolves into bitterness and resentment and unforgiveness and a lot of other um, emotional things that we try to grapple with. So failing to establish healthy um, emotional habits will ultimately undermine all the relationships that you ultimately care about in life. For example, if if I carry around this anger and bitterness and unforgiveness towards people who have hurt me throughout the course of my lifetime, and I don't learn how to resolve that properly, 
then it's going to affect my relationships with my wife, with my children, with you, uh, because if I'm carrying that around, it leaks into my emotional system, and therefore, as I am interacting with you in relationship, um, you know, that anger, unresolved anger and bitterness and resentment is going to come through. I may be short-tempered. It might be flare-ups of anger. You, you may respond to your anger in inappropriate ways by saying things, doing things. So every relationship is the culmination, especially like in marriage and family, is the culmination of all the, uh, the rocks that we call rocks in your backpack, uh, all the hurts and the pain and, and the, the loss and, um, you know, unresolved questions that you may have, like for God, like, God, why did you allow this to happen to me and why me and why now and why this and, and some of those Questions may not have ever been resolved for you. And so we just keep stacking rocks in our backpack and we carry this around in life. And, and the heavier this backpack becomes, uh, the more it begins to affect me physically. It affects you emotionally. Your, your soul and spirit and, and body is so closely aligned that much of what you suffer physically, really the, the root of that stems from emotional hurt and pain that is unresolved. It just comes out in physical ways. Sometimes people say, well, you know, God, I'm asking you to, I'm asking you to heal me physically of this, this problem I have. And, and God may be saying, but I, I could do that, but it's just going to come back because that's not the root cause of it. The root cause is this emotional trauma that you've never allowed me to heal. And therefore, we need to deal with that before I can take care of the physical. And so all of this stuff that I carry around throughout the course of my lifetime represents loss, right? It represents loss. When my father left our family, there was a loss. You know what happens with loss? With loss comes grief. You grieve a loss, right? For some of you, for example, uh, your children, when they moved away from home, moms, some of you grieved that loss. Some of you did not grieve that loss. And one of the ways you know you did not grieve that loss is because every time your child comes home to visit you as an adult, you keep wanting to go back, right? Let's get out all the family photos, let's get out all the eight millimeter films, and let's start showing all the slides, and let's relive the past, and, and it's just like over and over and over, it's like this, this cycle that just goes on and on and on, because you've never really dealt with, or you, you're trying to hang on to your children, and, and by hanging on, you're trying to control them, and you're trying to interfere in their life, and when you're supposed to, we're supposed to raise our kids to be independent of us, but fully dependent upon God, but when we've not made that, we've not cut that tie, we've not grieved that loss, listen, when my children moved out of my house, I grieved, because it's a loss, right? I miss them being there. Now, sometimes in their teenage years, you know, they get to the point where you, you're praying they go, right? You're just like, oh, whoo, yeah, I'll go, right? I'll pay your way to leave, right? So, <laughs> but ultimately, it's a loss. And a loss is a sign of a, of a broken dream oftentimes. Even when you go through change, do you know that change always includes a loss? Like when you go through different seasons in your life, those are changes, and those changes, you're, you're losing things. For example, the older I get, what am I losing? Physical health and stamina, right? So your, your body's changing, and, and uh, relationships are changing, and people that I've known for years and I've you know, had 
you know, relationships with, I mean, it's just like they die and, and they go on to be with the Lord, but you suffer that loss and that loss means that you're going to grieve and loss always needs to be grieved. Please understand that. Change always includes loss and loss always needs to be grieved. The question is, do we grieve well? So that's why I want to talk about grieving well, good grief. How do we grieve well? Because, I, you know, there, these things, these rocks that I'm carrying around that may represent loss in my backpack, I've got to learn how to grieve that because if I don't ever grieve it properly, I'll never cut it loose. I'll constantly be tied to that sense of loss that's remaining in my backpack because I've not learned how to grieve it well. So when you, uh, when you hear the word grieve or you think about the action of grieving, something uh, usually we closely associate with it is if, you know, someone in our life has died. But grief goes beyond that. It's more than just the loss of a, a loved one. And yes, people in our lives die, and that creates a tremendous, tremendous amount of grief in our lives. But it, it, goes, it goes far beyond that. You know, some, for some of you, it might seem trivial to you, but it's, it's still a loss. It's still a grief. It's like, you know, why did we lose the game? Or, or why did I get laid off? And why, why was my child born with this deformity? Or why? And we have all kinds of why questions that are attached to our sense of loss that we are trying to grieve over. But sometimes because the loss continues, it's difficult to grieve it properly. And so here are the, the three approaches that we learned early on in life when it comes to grief management. All right, so most of you learned your approaches to grief manage, management when you were children when a pet died. All right, you remember getting the goldfish in the bowl, you know, and one day you walk in and your goldfish is like swimming upside down, <laughs> like it's died, but you don't know that yet, and and mom and dad, you know, you're, you're crying and you're upset and they come in and they see the fish and they understand what's happened and said, well, you know, it's, it's time for, you know, Hermie to go to the, the great ocean out in the, in the distance. And so it, he gets there via flushing down the toilet and we have a little memorial service and, you know, that was before Finding Nemo, right? We didn't want to understand what's going on. Some of you might have been a dog. It may have been a turtle. I don't know what your pet was. But more than likely, your parents respond, out of goodness of their hearts, they probably responded by saying something like this. Greg, you know, my first pet loss was my dog. My dog was hit by a car, by a veterinarian of all people, <laughs> hit our dog and uh, killed the dog. So I'm crying, you know, just, and my sisters are all crying. And so my mom responds by, like, by saying, oh, it's okay, it's okay, um, we'll, we'll get another dog Really quick, you know, just give me another week or so, and, and I'll get the money together, and we'll go out, and we'll, we'll get us another dog. Don't, don't feel bad. It's okay. We're going we're gonna to get something else to replace it. And so I learned the first two steps in grief management, just like you learned the first two steps in grief management, and the first two steps is bury your feelings, replace your losses. Now, um, when grief management hits um, that type of grief management hits when it's a loved one. So for me, my first brush with death of a relative was my grandmother when I was in sixth grade. My grandparents helped raise me. They, this was my, my mother's parents. 
and I was very, very close to them, and I spent a lot of time with them, and all I know is one day I came home from school, and I was told that my grandmother had a massive heart attack and died. And I remember as a child going, being taken to the funeral home and seeing that casket with her body laying there, my first brush with death. And I, I you know, I, I, I was just like, it's, it so emotionally distraught me. I, I couldn't even go in up to the casket. I'm, I'm crying, and I, I've got all these questions about where's grandma. And, and, of course, you know, adults, they're trying to be consoling. And, and my relatives, you know, grandmas, it's okay. She's in heaven with Jesus. She's an, she's an angel now. And, you know, God, God needed her. And, like, I'm thinking, I need her, right? And what, what's God need for her? I, I need her. I need her now. And so I remember my mom, she's in the corner, she's just crying, and I, I try to go over to my mother, and, you know, I kind of get ushered away. It's, you know, you need to let her, be, let her alone for a while, and it's okay, it's, it's going to be okay. And so I, I'm, I'm thinking back to, you know, re- replace your losses, bury your, bury your emotions, bury your losses. How, how do you do that? Bury your feelings and replace your losses. How do you do that with a human being? You can't. And then the third step of grief management for us is that someone will say something like, oh, don't worry, um, in time, it'll be better. In other words, the thir- third step is time heals all wounds. That's a lie. Time doesn't heal anything. God can heal wounds. Time does not. Now, you may stuff those wounds, and you may bury those wounds, and you may camouflage those wounds, but if you do not grieve properly, those wounds will be just as alive in your heart today as they were for me over 40 years ago. If you don't learn how to grieve properly, I was horrible at it. I had no clue as to how to approach grief management. And so for many people, like myself, we avoid grief and we wind up um, in the ditches of alcoholism or in the ditches of uh, workaholics, series of broken relationships, compulsive eating disorders, spending patterns, drug addiction. You name your coping mechanism, and it's probably attached to this woundedness that is so deep within you that you don't know what to do with it, you don't know how to deal with it, and you've been told by society that you're to bury your feelings and replace your losses and time will heal everything, but you discovered very quickly that that just was not true. And so when there is a failure to grieve something that you have lost, it, it takes its toll upon you emotionally and ultimately physically. And everyone around you, and this is kind of a thing you want to jot down, everyone around you will eventually feel what you fail to grieve. Everybody around you will eventually feel what you fail to grieve because all of that emotion that's still alive and well and toxic within you will come out. It will come out through your actions. It will come out through your attitudes. It will come out through your words. It will come out the way you relate. It'll come out in multiple, multiple different ways. And so if you choose not to grieve, if you fail to grieve and avoid the habit and practice of grieving, it will eventually affect 
relationships in your life, and particularly the ones that you care about the most. In fact, it'll affect you in many ways. And so what I found out is this. The later we choose to deal with our emotions, the greater the consequences. In other words, later problems become greater problems. If I fail to deal with it, the consequences are just going to expand, right? Now, emotions are messengers to us, right? But later you pay attention to them or you stuff them, hide them, bury them, avoid them, but it doesn't matter because they're going to stay alive. And eventually the consequences are going to come to the surface. And so the consequences just keep getting worse and worse and worse. The more I put it off, the more I refuse to deal what's happening inside of me. That's the purpose of this whole series, is that we all have shattered dreams. Because loss is always tied to a shattered dream. You know, I had the dream as a child that my grandparents would, you know, watch me walk down or across the, the auditorium and, and graduate from high school. I had the dream that my grandparents would still be around when my children, you know, I had children, and, and they would be able to, you know, play with their grandchildren. I had all these dreams for them, but, but those dreams got shattered because of death. That's a loss. Loss needs to be grieved, but loss needs to be grieved well. If it's not grieved well, it remains toxic. If it remains toxic, then our emotions, if we don't deal with them, will revolt into greater consequences on down the road. So here's what I've discovered, and really what I want to unfold and unpack for you today is there are two places I go to when it comes to grief, all right? The number one is Jesus, and number two is King David. Why King David? Well, read the Psalms. King David writes a lot about grief. He writes a lot about loss. He, he puts his emotions right out there on printed page. It's like you're reading his diary about how he is grappling with grief and how he is straining to understand how God fits into all of this and, and how all this is going to unpack and unfold in his life. David did a lot of things well. He did some things very poorly. But one of the things he did do well was he learned how to, to traverse through the valley of the shadow of death and to grieve well. We're going to start with Jesus in John chapter 11 and the life of Jesus because Jesus is the image of the invisible God. And a part of what he is doing on earth is to show us, to give us a sneak peek as to what God is like. Because here's early on in my Christian life, as I was trying to deal with these emotions, um, so my grandmother died when I was in sixth grade. I got saved when I was about 15 years old, almost 16 years old. When I was 18 years old, I got a phone call. Uh, I was about to leave the house to go to work. I got a phone call that my sister had been killed in a car accident. There was my second brush with death that, that is a vivid memory of mine. How do you grieve that? How do you handle that? I'm just a baby Christian. I, I, I don't know much about the Bible. I wasn't raised in a Christian home. I, I, I didn't know anything about the Bible. But all I knew is that my sister died. She wasn't even the one driving the car, and the driver walked away. So now I have the question, why, why, why did the driver walk away? Why did my sister die? God, why didn't you reverse that? 
Or why didn't either one of them have to die? So then you have all those questions in your mind that, that are just revolving around and around and around. And my third big brush with death was with my grandparents. My grandmother had Alzheimer's. Um, my grandfather had a brain tumor, unbeknownst to us at that time. But my grandmother was really bad. And um, my sister actually was about to move in with them to help take care of her. And this is probably maybe six months before that was to transpire. My grandfather took my grandmother to Kroger's near their house to fill a prescription. <clears throat> it was in the wintertime. There was snow on the ground. <clears throat> Excuse me. For whatever reason, my grandfather, when he drove back home, did not drive back to their house, but headed in a direction that was actually taking them to the house they lived in previously, that they'd lived in for probably 30-some years but they lived in the house they were in presently for at least, you know, 15 years, if, if not longer. And he got turned around, got lost on a back road, drove out around a barn, on a farmer's barn, went back into a backfield. So from the farmhouse, you could not see the car, but, my, but he could see, if you look back where he was, he could see the farmhouse. The car got stuck in the snow. And my grandfather, I don't know, he, he must have said to my grandmother, stay here, wait for me, I'm going to go get help. He leaves the car running, my grandmother's in the car. Rather than going back towards the farmhouse, he goes up into the woods, gets turned around in the woods, and walks around in a circle until he dies. And so my grandparents are now missing, you know, we get the word, hey, they're missing, and, and this, you know, days go by, we don't know where they're at. And so, fortunately, a farmer, the farmer went out around his barn, uh, you know, three days later, saw tire tracks, tracked them back to the car, and there my grandmother sat in the car until it ran out of gas and, and she died. And so, those are, those are um, valleys, right? Those are traumatic moments in your life, and your heart is broken, and Questions flood your mind, and, and so you're trying to get a handle on this. And, and so Jesus, you know, he, he's showing, he's unveiling the heart of God in this, this uh, story that transpires between Mary, Martha, and their brother Lazarus. And I'm not going to go through details of the story. I, I just really want to point out one aspect of this. But in case you're not familiar with the story, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, they were very close friends with Jesus, and Jesus was with his disciples in another city, and they sent word that his friend Lazarus, the one whom he loved, was very sick, and he was, he was probably going to die. And so Jesus looked at his disciples and said, hey, um, we're going to delay our going. In fact, he delayed for four days. When Jesus enters into Bethany, guess who has died and who is in a tomb? Lazarus. And so Jesus is met on the road by Mary and Martha, and both of them said the same thing. They did not meet him at the same time, but separate times, but they, had, they said the same thing. Lord, had you been here, our brother would not have died. But even now, we believe, we believe that you can do whatever you ask for, that God will do that. And so then Jesus unpacked something that they never heard before him unpack, and that was Jesus made the statement don't worry, I am the resurrection and the life. And he who believes in me uh, will live even though he dies. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? To which they both said, yes, Lord, we, we believe it. And so they bring Jesus to the tomb and they warn him, hey, 
you really don't want to, you really don't want any part of this because he, um, he comes to the tomb and four days have passed. A body's been in the tomb for four days. But here's a little thing that, that John drops in here. And Jesus asked the question in verse 34 of John 11, where have you laid him, he asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. And then John drops this in, capture this. Jesus wept. Headline of the story is, friend dies, Jesus heals, mind blown. But why does John make sure that we know that Jesus wept? Now, there are a thousand and one different theories as to why that is. So I'll give you my most humble and accurate opinion. Just kidding. I think Jesus wept for a couple of reasons. Because he, Jesus, I think, wept because it breaks the heart of God to see what sin has done to humanity. If you think that, that God just like, see someone die and like there's some kind of like glee in his heart over that, not, not a chance. In fact, in a Jewish um, ceremony, a, a funeral, one of the things they would do is take a little bottle and pass it around to each person there and they would let a drop, a tear drop go into the bottle and that bottle was given then to the family and it was just showing that everyone was mourning with the family. We're, we're feeling what you're feeling. We're, we're sensing what you're sensing. And we're, we're, we're crying and we're weeping with you. You know, the Bible tells us that God has a bottle of tears, that, that God feels what we feel. Why? Because the Holy Spirit dwells you, resides in your spirit. There is not an emotion that you ever feel that he doesn't feel also. He knows the brokenness. He understands the shattered emotions and all the questions. And I, I just think that, that John, um, this is not an encouragement for us to like, oh, uh, you, you got to weep a certain way, you know, when somebody dies. Everybody mourns differently. Some people are criers. Some of you are not. Um, some of you cry at times, but most of the time you don't. But certainly it's a part of our emotional health uh, in this process, I think, that, I think that John included this to say, hey, this has got to be a part of your emotional health. If you're going to be emotionally healthy, you have got to grieve your losses. You've got to grieve them. Stop stuffing them. Stop avoiding them. That was my problem. So I just stuffed and avoided I was like a turtle in a shell. When my grandparents died, I shut down emotionally. I shut down relationally. My wife, and we were not, not connecting at all. And she's like, you know, open up, Greg. Come on, open up. Let me in. I want to walk with this through, with you. I, I want to take this journey with you. But I, I'm like a turtle in a shell. I just shut down, withdraw, and, and it's like, oh, you know, if I can just work it out in my head, then, and, you know, get it all straightened out and all the questions answered and all the I's dotted and the T's crossed, then, then I'll be okay emotionally. Nada. 
Didn't happen. I just buried it. Then my fourth big loss was my mother. Once again, I put that rock in my backpack. I stood strong and firm, and I was going to be like, you know, I'm the only son in the family, and so, you know, I'm, I was, I was going to be the one who carried the burden of my mom's death and, and just be, you know, the, the one who's going to be strong for everybody else. And, and so much so, I, I was even going to preach my mother's funeral. My wife, she says, don't do that. Don't. I partially listened to her, all right? So I did part of my mom's funeral, but the, the part of it was done by a, a friend of mine. And it was the hardest thing I, I had ever done in my life, obviously. I did do my grandparents' funeral. I've done many family members' funeral, but this, was, this is totally different, right? I buried my mother on a Thursday. I was in this pulpit on that Sunday. Big mistake. Big mistake. Because all I did was take another rock and slam it into that backpack. And this was a heavy one. And I never took the time to grieve. And so I think that Jesus is saying to us, you want to get emotionally healthy? You've got to go through the process of grief. Every one of those rocks represents a loss, and every loss needs to be grieved. Now, Psalm 23. David, at the end of his life, as he looks back over his life, is when he penned the 23rd Psalm. And as David reflected over his lifetime, he began to reflect on not only how he was a shepherd, but how he had a shepherd. And so he says, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He's the one who makes me lie down in green pastures. He's the one who leads me beside quiet waters. He's the one who restores my soul. And even though I shall walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil because he is with me. His rod, his staff, they comfort me. And you have prepared a table before me in the presence of my enemies, and you have anointed my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and loving kindness will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I want you to notice the bookends of that psalm. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He's preparing a table before me in the presence of my enemies. But to get from here to here, where goodness and loving kindness will follow me all of the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever, there is a valley that he had to go through. In fact, there are many valleys that you will go through throughout the course of your lifetime. And those valleys will oftentimes result in some kind of loss. A loss that needs to be grieved, if it is not grieved properly, it will simply be buried and it will have extending consequences because you're burying something that is toxic, that time cannot heal. 
and everyone around you will suffer because of the toxic emotions that you have buried on the inside, right? This is all starting to come together. Notice he says in Psalm 23, even though I walk through the valley, circle that word through. In other words, you can't go around it. You can't go under it. You can't go over it. You've got to go through it. Now, this valley that David was referring to was what, a valley he would travel many, many times from Jerusalem to Jericho. In other ways, a deep, dark valley with many twisting uh, roads that was susceptible to animals and thievery and all these things. It was a very deep valley, a very you know, descending valley. And uh, he'd gone through that, taken his sheep through that valley many, many times because it was like a shortcut from one place to another. And so David is reflecting back on his life, even though I walk through this valley. Corey Ten Boone was asked, and Corey Ten Boone, if you're not sure who she is, she, she and her sister Betsy were Jewish, two Jewish girls who were put into a, a, a concentration camp, uh, a Nazi concentration camp. Betsy lost her life. Corey Ten Boone, God spared her life, and she was asked the question, how do you endure a trial? Here's what she said. When I'm on a train and it goes through a tunnel, I don't jump from the train. I hold on and I trust the conductor. This is a part of grief management as we are traveling through our own personal valleys is that God wants to be the conductor of your life. Because oftentimes we ask ourselves as we are journeying through our valley, will this valley ever end? Will I ever laugh again? Will I ever feel right again? Will I ever enjoy the simple pleasures of life again? Will life ever be back to normal? And there's a lot of things that go on inside of us as we're journeying through this, this valley of ours. And so steps to good grief is you, you've, got to, you've got to make space for a time to grieve. Notice he didn't say, I walk in the valley. He said, I walk through the valley, which means it's transitory. It's temporary. There is a brighter path ahead. And he says, I will fear no evil. Even though I walk through this valley, it doesn't mean that I have to be paralyzed by fear. Fear often gets rooted in loss because fear has to do oftentimes in loss with the future. What is my future going to be like? My wife just died. My grandparent died. My mother died. My child died. What is the future going to look like? How is it going to be altered? What's going to happen? And so our minds start borrowing into tomorrow and the next day and the next week and the next month and the next year. Remember what Jesus said to us when it comes to worry and anxiety? He says, stop borrowing out of tomorrow. You only focus on today. So who's the shepherd who's walking through the valley with us? Jesus. The same Jesus who stood at the tomb of Lazarus and wept. He understands your emotions. He understands that you have a thousand different questions. He understands and also knows all about your future. And he's walking with you. I will fear no evil. We worry. We're so heavy with anxiety. Because in this valley, 
oftentimes we never get to a point of absolute surrender to our shepherd. Remember the first part of the, the psalm? The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. I shall not be in one. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in the paths of righteousness. The only time I follow the shepherd is when I'm surrendering to the direction of the shepherd. You see, if I'm a shepherd and my sheep, like, they don't want to follow me, and they start scattering in all different directions, guess what they become susceptible to? Their enemies. Animals that want to take them out and use them as a meal. Now watch this. Jesus says he is your shepherd. That he wants you to surrender under him and follow him through the valley. And when you do so, there is no fear of evil because he is with you. His rod and his staff, they comfort you. And then he talks about preparing a table before you in the presence of your enemies. Who is your enemy? Satan is your enemy. Satan would love nothing better than to take you out because you're not grieving well and you're, you're no longer walking behind the shepherd. He's, he's gotten you off pathway. And the, Jesus said of, of your enemy, he only comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And so if he can remove me from the shepherd, now I become susceptible to the attack of my enemy. Jesus says, if you'll follow me, as I traverse you through the valley, on the other side, I will make your enemies, Satan and his demonic beings, I will make them witness the fact that I have taken you through a very difficult, crushing time in your life. But what I brought out of you on the other side of the valley is going to be something that is absolutely beautiful and miraculous, if you'll follow me. Last night... Um, Several of us went to see the movie Breakthrough, and um, it is based on a true story about a, a couple who um, adopted a child who was abandoned by his parents from another country, and they raised this young boy, and he loved basketball, and um, so he and his buddies were having an overnight party, and they got out on the ice uh, of the lake there in the town they were living in, and as the title is, they broke through the ice and fell in. Two of the boys got themselves out. By the time the rescuers were there, the third young man had been submerged in the water for like over 30 minutes. And uh, so two of the firefighters, they, they get in there, they, all they've got is poles with hooks trying to, and this, this, the depth of this lake is like 25 feet. And, and so one of the, one of the, Firefighters, he didn't even believe in God, but he heard something. He thought it was his, his fire chief saying this. He heard a voice says, move back, move back. And he did, and he hooked the young man. By the time they got him out, there's no pulse. They put him in the back of an ambulance. They take him to the hospital still. There's no pulse. They're in the ER room. They're working on this kid for 20 minutes. No pulse, no pulse, no pulse. Finally, his mother shows up. And they bring her back there, and they've, you know, they're done. They've done everything. They've, they've shocked him several times. They've, they've done everything they can, and he's, for all legal purposes, he's dead. No brain activity, no pulse. And his mother stands, just starts weeping and crying out for the Holy Spirit to breathe life back into her son. 
And all of a sudden, a pulse comes back. But he's still not out of the woods by any stretch of the imagination. He's been over 20 minutes without oxygen. They life flight him to another hospital to a doctor who specializes in drowning victims. The doctor assesses the situation and he says to the mother, he's probably not going to last through the night. I've never seen anyone as bad off. You need to call in your family. But she refused to believe that and said, I believe that my son will live again. And so nobody had believed her. And so uh, the long story short is that people were coming in and trying to console her. But in their minds, they believed what the doctors were saying, which is, listen, he's not going to make it. Even if he does, his, his brain will be like a vegetable. Right? Do you want to have this for the rest of your life? Do you want to have to deal with this? But she just refused to believe. But in, in her heart, she just started getting angry at people and yelling at people, yelling at her husband and yelling at those who were trying, you know, friends that were trying to console her and pray for her. And she just got so angry and so angry until finally she had a, bro- a breakdown in the hallway. And in the midst of her breakdown in her valley, she came to the point of absolute surrender. And here's what she said to God, Lord, I don't know how all this is going to turn out, but whatever you choose, I'm okay with that. I surrender my son over to you. And at that moment of surrender, God began to change the course of that young man's progress. Spoiler alert, (laughs) two weeks later, He walked into his classroom, absolutely whole and healed, and the doctor who was the specialist said to her, I can only tell you one thing, it's a miracle. God does the miraculous, but you got to follow the shepherd in your grief. you got to surrender everything over. I will fear no evil because you are with me. Your rod, your staff, they comfort me. And so the first step is to make space For good grief, you've got to make space. If you do not, one day you'll wake up and you'll say, how did I get here? My marriage is a mess. My family is not getting along anymore. There's so much hurt and so much pain because you've buried your feelings, you've replaced your losses, you've tried to allow time to heal you, I want to give you another path. So here's the second step, is feel your feelings and express them freely. Last week we talked about the fact that, listen, you want to feel your feelings, you don't want your feelings in the driver's seat of your life. That's not a good driver, right? You want Jesus in the driver's seat. You don't want him as a co-pilot. Uh, You want the shepherd in the driver's seat. You want to feel your feelings. You need to feel your feelings. What did I do with my backpack? All I did was bury my feelings. I avoided my feelings. I looked for coping mechanisms in order to deal with my feelings. Just to hush the pain. Even if it was for only 15 minutes, an hour, a couple hours a day. Whatever it took. Not a good way to live. And so when you feel your feelings and you express them, everyone's a little different about how they express them. And oftentimes it's built around your personality type, right? So one of the things that happens oftentimes when people lose someone, 
or they've lost a job or whatever it is that's creating great grief is we want to be helpful, right? So we go to funeral homes or we go to somebody's house and we want to be helpful and we want to give them words of encouragement. And oftentimes our words of encouragement are horrible, horrible. And doesn't help the person at all. Because everybody deals with their grief process differently. And oftentimes, again, it's built around your personality. For example, if you are a sanguine, what I call popular sanguine, they're just kind of like fun-loving, outgoing, energetic people. They're your party people, love, love life. They want to have fun. Everything's about having fun. And they tend to feel depressed when life is no longer fun, right? And they feel isolated and disconnected. And they struggle with things like being hospitalized. They struggle with going to funeral homes. Um, they struggle caring for somebody over an extended period of time, like being a caregiver. They just struggle with that stuff. It's because this is building their personality. And as extroverts, their emotional batteries are recharged around people. And when grieving, it helps for sanguines to talk about their story. They want to talk about it a lot. They want to talk about it all the time. They want to talk about it every day. They want to talk about it until you're sick of hearing about it. But that's a part of their grief process. So what happens oftentimes to sanguines? People are like, I'm tired of hearing it. I don't want to hear anything one more time. I don't hear the story one. It's all I hear all day long. So what happens to them ultimately? They get their feelings hurt all over again. And shove that down inside. Listen, if you're a sanguine type of person, you need, you need a grief support group. Stop trying to grieve on your own. You need help. We all need help. All right? Perfect melancholies, all right? You guys take life seriously. You desire perfection and organization, and you get depressed when life isn't perfect, and there appears to be no way to straighten things out. And so emotionally, um, you, you know, the melancholy emotionally needs sensitivity to their feelings. But here's what the big thing they need. They need silence and space, all right? You know what they're going to do? You know what the melancholy is going to do in their grieving process? They're going to pray, they're going to cry, and they're going to journal, Right? Now, pray, cry, and journal. That's, my wife's got a big cedar chest filled with journals. Processing loss, processing grief, journaling. I'm in a lot of those journals. I was, I was the problem with a lot of stuff. So I'll root those out before I give them to our kids. Anyways. Um, yes, so they're seeking God's heart. They're seeking God's wisdom. That's the way they process grief. Powerful cholerics. You guys are the natural born leaders. Your basic desire is for control, right? Which means when you get depressed, you get depressed when life is outside of your control and you can't do anything about it. And loss is one of those things. The cholerics often struggles expressing sorrow because you don't, you, don't, you don't like to weep, right? You, you got to be strong. You, you got to be stoic. And, and you just kind of like shove that stuff down inside of you. And you, re, you are really susceptible to toxic emotions. And you've got to give yourself permission to grieve. You've got to get it out. For you, because you're facing something you probably can't fix, that point of surrender to the Lord is so, so essential for you if you're going to grieve well. And for those of you who are peaceful phlegmatics, uh, you're the gentle, relaxed, easygoing people whose basic desire is for peace in life. Man, when troubling times come, it brings 
a lot of problems into your personality. You get depressed easily. Um, you usually, uh, you, it, it, you just feel like you need to escape. You need to, you know, you're like the turtle in the shell. You just need to shut down. And when life is difficult and you have a, you have a real hard time dealing with multiple issues at once. So it's very important when you grieve is that you just take one little step, okay? So your big step for the day might be getting out of bed. Your big step for the day might be just sitting at the feet of Jesus. Your big step of the day might be just calling up a friend and saying, can we talk? Because that's just the way your um, emotional makeup is. And, And like the melancholy, phlegmatics are introverts by nature and recharged by solitude. And so you, you have to force yourself to face and to deal with your grief. It does not come naturally for you. Number three is you slow down to review the loss. You've got to review the loss. Whether you feel frustrated, sad, bitter about it, I don't know what it is. Because this is going to be very important that you do this. Because next week, I'm going to give you the absolute key to unloading that backpack. And, and it's going to be tied to you reviewing your loss. You need to understand what that is to you. What is that loss? And, you know, because it might be around a job loss. It, it might be around, you know, a child that went wayward. It, it might be around a marriage that went south. It might be around a lot of things that has created, you know, emotional turmoil for you. So you need to slow down, review the loss, process it. Process it. It's going to be so important for next week. These, these messages are, are kind of chain-linked together, uh, and then we'll tie it in a big purdy bow on the last message of the series, right? Number four is you want to invite God to heal the wounds of your loss. You've got to invite God to heal the wounds of your loss. Now, and the key healing element is coming next week. It's amazing for me, for me, watch this, for me, I wasn't inviting God in that process, all right? Jesus, my shepherd, I wasn't following him through the valley. I decided to take a side road, right? I know better. This is how I'm going to deal with it. This is how life works. This is how I'm going to handle it. This is how I'm going to stay in control. This is how I'm going to, right? How well did that work for me? And not well at all. And one of the healthiest emotional habits that you need is to understand that God is the one who heals, not time. Time doesn't heal anything. You may try to heal something on your own for 20 years. God may be able to do it like that if you'll give it to him in the proper way. We'll talk about that next week. My question for you in closing is this. What have you lost that you have failed to grieve? What have you lost that you have failed to grieve? I know that we think that life somehow is going to be all, you know, get married, live happily ever after. You know God's very upfront about pain and suffering. That's why the whole emblem of Christianity is the cross. 
the epitome of pain and suffering. But know this, you have a Savior who's walked your valley. And he understands. He understands the hurt. He understands the questions. He understands what you're feeling. He understands how you're trying to traverse through this in your own life. He understands that healing does not always happen like in a nanosecond. Sometimes it's progressive. Sometimes it takes time. I hate it when people say, well, you know, so-and-so's you know, spouse died eight months ago. They ought to be over it by now. Says who? Who knows how long? Now, there is, there is a, a time frame in which you can let this extend on and on, and now it becomes unhealthy grieving. But who knows? I just, want, I just want you to get on the process. I just want you to get on the path to start unloading the backpack. Let's get the rocks out of the backpack that are weighing you down emotionally, that have, have um, taken your emotional system and has, has just, just like dumped toxic emotions in on top of one another. And now all of a sudden it's just like it's coming out in all kinds of ways. I had somebody call me late last night, and she said, you know what, uh, you know, my, my boyfriend and I, we, we, you know, we've been getting along okay, but then we, we got in a fight, another fight, another fight, and then he just, like, took his fist and, like, beat it into a, into a door, like, about broke his hand. What do you think's going on? A whole lot more than that little argument. There's a lot of buried stuff there that he's not dealing with. And that's the way it's coming out. And by the way, if he doesn't get help, it's just a matter of time before that fist finds your body. Either he gets help or you need to get out. That's not what God wants for us. He wants us to unload the backpack and to walk in the freedom of Christ. Will there be scars from the things that you've encountered in life? Absolutely. You know, when you have surgery, you get scars, right? Some of you carry around scars, and you'll carry them all the way into eternity. But here's what I know happens. God erases all the scars. You will be whole, spirit, soul, and body. That's the ultimate gift of God through his grace. Let's bow our heads together. So I ask you again the question, what have you lost that you have failed to grieve? Father, I pray that whatever the answer is to that question, that, Father, today, at this moment, at this time, that they will, this individual will begin the process of grieving well. Of grieving well. As they feel the feelings, 
Father, I pray your Holy Spirit will help them to review the loss and bring to the surface what it is that has been lost in their mind. What it is that they feel like needs to be repaid. What needs to be substituted for the loss. Father, help them this week to sort through those emotions, those rocks in their backpack that they might experience, oh God, the healing that you desire for them to experience. I thank you, Father, that we have a Savior who also took some scars into heaven. His scars are eternal to remind us of the cascading grace of you from your throne in heaven down to earth that we might experience it on this day. I pray for those, Father, who have no relationship with you, that they will open up their hearts and their lives and reach out and accept and receive the gift of Jesus this morning, that they may have the shame and the guilt of their sin forgiven, and they may have the Holy Spirit come and indwell them and begin this process of healing and freedom from all the emotional baggage that they are carrying. I pray, Father, for those who have struggled with this maybe for a year, five years, 15 years, 20 years, God, it's never too late for us to be set free. And I pray that, Lord. I pray that this morning. I pray that in the, in the weeks ahead, that God, just step by step, the Holy Spirit will just start unpacking our backpack and just aiding us and taking out the things that are just emotionally unhealthy for us. That way you might feed upon only that which is good for our emotional health. That you might restore us to the emotional health that you desire for each and every one of us. So Father, we come this morning now with just a fresh, fresh surrender to the following of our, our shepherd. I know that some here are in the valley. Some have just come out. Some are heading to one. But I just pray, God, that you'll help us through your Holy Spirit to keep our eyes riveted upon our Savior and that as we sit at his feet and listen, just listen, that he will restore our souls. He will guide us back to those paths of righteousness. And that our enemy will have to watch when goodness and loving kindness follows us all the days of our lives, all the way into the eternal home that you have gone and prepared for us. It is my prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.